if we, we stopped halfway, thank you for listening to the first part, and we're just going to pick up where we left off. Practically, do you see any room on the Democratic side to negotiate? Um, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think the room is there. It, it's funny because we had this conversation like a year ago when I was yeah. like, "Well, I think for some nominal funding, they can do DACA and get away with it." I don't think that anymore. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> so you know, like what Democrats have learned from a series of Republican shutdowns is that two years from an election doesn't matter. Doesn't no matter. one's yeah. gonna remember. Yeah. So like, they don't feel any particular pressure. To, like, you know, they'll say all of the things that you say when you ostensibly yeah. want to reopen the government. And obviously everyone wants to reopen the government. But the existential threat is more to Trump than it is to Democrats. Totally. And so... So what, what other ways could this whole thing play out? Well, so I actually think, so from a policy standpoint, and I think I was trying to bring this up, is that actually the Democrats, by their nature, may have some room to, like, give, right? Like, okay. uh, so, and, but I actually don't think they will, right? right? So, I mean, they can easily say, like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll give you border funding or something yeah. like that. 2.6 million. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, like, the, the, the thing is, like, I, the other trouble that they're having now is that they can't even make a concession because Trump can't stick to a position. Right. Yeah. right? This is difficult. I feel like if Trump could stick to a position then they would have a higher likelihood right. of compromising, right? But now yeah. there's nothing in it for them because they can... <coughs> and, and many people negotiating with Trump have had this problem, right? Is they can make some concession that he's privately said will be acceptable and then he just bounces it and now they've lost face with their base. Especially and when he's already done this and in this particular... Yeah, in, yeah, in this argument. Yeah, in yeah. this argument yeah. and then he changes his mind. Right. So Trump is terrible. Let's, yeah. let's, <laughs> let's, let's put that back. But I actually feel like the Democratic <coughs> position is not clear and not that strong, right? So what happens? So you could say, just as the art of politics, right? You mm -hmm. could say, like, okay, well, 1.6 is where I stand. Oh, bluster, bluster, bluster. Okay, what do you, what do I get if I give you 2.6, right? And eventually you want to get him to this five, miraculous five number, right? Yeah. And just, and I think if you put five billion on the on on, on the table, like you'd have to take it, right? Like five billion or whatever it is, six billion, you don't build a wall with six billion dollars, you and you could actually earmark it for whatever you want. If you met if you give him this magical value of like five to six billion dollars, you get to ask what you want. In return for DACA. But, but, but he just keeps embarrassing himself by saying like it's gotta be a wall, a wall is a wall is a wall. Yeah, but I think he's he's utterly consistent in his ability to be inconsistent, right? He would yeah. be like, oh, I got I got you $5 billion. You know, the Democrats were going to say nothing. The Democrats were actually going to import more rapists. We were gonna, I don't know what they were going to do, but like, so he can spin it in a way that would be as effective or ineffective. But I actually think that one of the things is that any exchange here the Democrats want, right? Like, what do the Democrats get, right? I actually don't think the Democrats are politically positioned to give anything on immigration, right? Or yeah. get anything on immigration. Yeah, like, uh, for all that, like, you know, I care about DACA, and yeah. we all care about DACA, but there's not actually that many DACA recipients, right? right. And it, they're they're against the wall, so yeah. they're not they're yeah. they're themselves as the hostages. They're like shoot the hostages, fine. <laughs> yeah. which is fucking hard. Think about what happens to the debate, right? Politically, what happens <laughs> to the debate once the Democrats get DACA? Like, yeah. let's say, and let's say oh, it's right. DACA, full DACA, right? Yeah. They get citizenship, yeah. right? You <laughs> move, you have taken away. Uh, illegal immigrants' most charismatic, sympathetic mm -hmm. 
um, proponents, right? They're yeah. symbols. And then you don't get to argue about illegal immigration ever again, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not just the young people, yeah, it's the their system. parents, yeah. um, it's all these other people. Chain migration. migration. Right, yeah, right, the right. system tied to smartphones, too. Right. So no one's, there's, what What does that look like? You know, we have total information control. Like, what is an illegal immigration? So cynically, like? I think the Democrats don't want to let go of DACA either. That's yeah, actually true. But, yeah. you know, they were certainly willing to. Uh, yeah. Well, particularly since DACA is not an emergency right now either, because the courts no one's have being deported put, yet. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, I, I would agree with you about your point of view. If the Senate had it unanimously voted already for the one point six billion, I think that's why the Democrats shouldn't do anything yeah. because it's unanimous. Like, there's no senator that is not right. It just brings up I, I, in this case. I don't know if it's right, but I think in the and I don't know if the Democrats are willing to get anything on, on immigration. Right. You think it, Most Republicans don't have their hearts in this fight right now. Sure. Trump yeah. staked out his position, right. rejecting the thing that they had just unanimously sure. approved. McCon- was like literally to laugh and leave right. town. McConnell right? already whipped, he already whipped Tom Cotton into being like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> now he's fucking going to reverse himself? <laughs> That's so embarrassing, right? You can't do that. They're just no. not going to vote on it. He'll do an executive order and then they'll pass it. That's my theory. Like, that's the only way out. And it'll just make him more unpopular, if anything. Like, it'll make him, I guess it'll raise his popularity with the base, but then when it doesn't happen, when it's his Guantanamo and, like, the courts are like, fuck that, you know? Like, we have a treaty with Mexico already, sorry. Yeah, I think (laughs) one of the things is that the base elected him to get things done, not to talk about things. And not just to talk about it, not just to talk about it. And at some point, if he can't put up any real achievements that the base cares about, great. Uh, the economy's doing well, blah, blah, blah. I mean, when Ann Coulter threatens to turn on you. <laughs> yeah, you actually have to put up achievements, and at some point the base is going to learn what everyone who has ever dealt with Donald Trump has already learned, is that he's very disappointing. Yeah, yeah. He cannot deliver. He likes to talk, and he cannot deliver. Yeah, he can't make money off a casino. Yeah. So I don't know if he has those criminal connections he's bragging about. I, I think it's a, it's a great fight for the Democrats and a terrible one for the Republicans, so I look forward to its continuing. I look <laughs> forward to seeing the more casualties of this fight. Like, mm-hmm. it is, it is. I mean, the sad truth is that <laughs> I disagree with you, but I think politically you're right. The worse this gets, like, should we start missing uh, certain basic, uh, something like rebate checks from the IRS, all yeah. of that. There's some huge payments uh, that need to be made by the end of January. Mm-hmm. Uh, this really hurts, the, uh, I think, people and for sure already, but certainly more so uh, come end of January. But most importantly, I think uh, it doesn't hurt the Democrats, it's, right? It's, and that's, I, less importantly, it doesn't help yeah. the Democrats. So one side doesn't have the motivation to negotiate. It's going to look really, really, really bad for the Republicans if people aren't getting their rebate checks. Yeah. And it, once again, it's not, if this had, if they had not voted on this before, if Trump had a, a, the ability to strategize one month in advance, right? right. Like, or hell, a week in advance, yeah. he would have kept the Senate from voting on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or not. Well, but someone changed his mind at the last minute. Well, that's yeah. insane. That's like, that's, yeah. that doesn't work because then you have the evidence of the people you're trying to whip later. Like, just doesn't fucking hold water. Yeah. Just can't. Um, we, we, you've revealed your cards already. Uh, so, what's next? Uh, so you talk, should we talk about our representative? Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> you're, you're new. Now you've moved from who, who is who is Midtown East? Uh, um, Maloney. Maloney. Carolyn Maloney. Carolyn Maloney. Carolyn Maloney. I mean, well, you guys talked about her on the last podcast. I listened. I'm a fan. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're only one. uh, And, um, you know, I think think she's learning fast. Yeah. I I do. I think she's learning fast. I think she's 
um, gifted at communicating in the way that them younger millennials are, um, using the Twitters and so on, as Kamalesh would call it, and mm -hmm. I, I think that that's working in her favor. She's voted for Pelosi, mm -hmm. uh, so that's one vote that she's taken, which I agree with. Yeah. She could have protested that, but I'm glad she was, did not. Mm -hmm. uh, she voted against Pago, right? Yep. So she's one of the two yep. holdouts yep. as far as that goes which is entirely consistent. And also, I believe she was allowed to do that. I'm not sure that it yeah. was a protest vote yeah. so much as, like, it's good for your brand to yeah, continue yeah. to hold out. Well, it's like, like I was saying, Nancy Pelosi stakes out the center, yeah. and then Ocasio-Cortez is staking out the left, yeah. right? Like, they got to make the tent big. I, I believe in my heart that it was one, it was a trade one vote for the other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Seems plausible. She wanted, Pelosi wanted Ocasio-Cortez's vote for her, so she allowed her to vote. I don't think she could have done both. Mm -hmm. So that's that's my opinion. But you're you're more of a skeptic. So what are your opinion? What's your opinion? Well, I will reiterate that I think she's very effective in terms of communication. She also does communicate simply and in a way that I think really excites people. Yeah. That being said, I kind of don't love her policies almost to a to a letter. Yeah. Uh, I'm a centrist by my nature, center leftist. That way of being. A politician that comes from a quote-unquote activist base where you're very certain about your positions that are often deal with very complicated topics that in a way that allows you to kind of quickly demonize anyone who opposes you I, I despise that rhetoric right like where she's starting to talk about when well, she was doing this right where she was talking about uh, the republican wing of the democratic party who was i forget uh allying against uh, I guess during the speakership, right, a contest, she was saying that the people who were opposed to her, which is pro Pelosi, were were in cahoots to some degree with the Republicans. Like, I think it's just like a weird space, right? Yeah. I don't love how quickly she's willing to separate us from them in a weird way uh, and create this sort of sense of like, we are on the right all the policies we want are clear and we just need to get through them through this force of will yeah. and there's no sense of debate or negotiation, right? Like this weird green policy new deal is a bunch of cobbled together hopes and aspirations. But that like, all I, feel suddenly... like, I feel like it's an opening position, right? Like That's fair. In, in a negotiation, like you have to have some opening position and if it's your final position, you may not be a good negotiator, right? Right. Like, I tend to view her policy assertions as the opening position Interesting. of yeah, the left fair. wing of the Democratic Party, right? Um, rather than things that we necessarily think it's actually possible to enact. Just as some of Trump's positions should have been an opening position for the right wing of the Republican Party, but we're not. I don't have a problem with her communication style, particularly. Mm. Um, I think zingy hashtag me too, but in a way that's not necessarily bad. Right. I can see the point. I think you're right. She may be quite smartly or maybe not deliberately staking yeah, out Either deliberately or not. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I do actually think that her rhetoric, especially when she's trying to demonize other people, like it's just, it's a flip side of kind of playing this like kind of very partisan, factionalistic like sense of what the Democratic Party is. And I don't love, I wonder if the rhetoric and the success and the charisma ends up being uh, the the preface to a faction of the party that can't compromise within itself, whether or not she's sort of giving uh, planting the seeds to the equivalent of the, you know, the Freedom Caucus. And that really bothers me. And, and I feel it, like her vote for Pelosi, though, that's was fair. a flag that that may not be the direction. That's that true. But there's actually already uh, sort of rumbles. Like, this is a classic yeah. kind of 
uh, she was there's some rumors that she was trying to uh, cut Hakeem Jeffries, if you know who he is, yeah. off at the knees, and she was trying to uh, uh, weigh in or do something to uh, change, I guess, the primaries around Hakeem Jeffries. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hasn't been confirmed, but the way she reacted to it made it sound like, oh, she absolutely did. Mm-hmm. Like, she was just starting to question the sources and, yeah. like, trashing fake press and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I was like, oh, you're so Trump-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and I feel like she's ready to play that uh, factionalist leader that makes me really uncomfortable, right? I, I, and that's just because I'm a centrist and I want a wide tent party. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that it is unpleasant i think it is effective politically to get a power base and i want someone to have one who represents us i don't think it's good representation of this district I right think this district is a particularly leftist district along Did, that vector right absolutely i think we're going to be very very left on immigration yeah full stop that's it yeah. i mean we're not it's a very centrist com- like part of the world especially new york we yeah. we're not the Upper West Side, we're not, I mean, we're not far left in terms of economics. I think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's problem is that unlike representing San Francisco right. or L.A., her district matters. Like, there are problems here, and she has to trade favors. She has things to do for people, you know? She has, there's things to process. There's demands that people have. Crowley was a master of that because he had a machine. He was a machine politician in New yep. York. He traded machine favors in return for safety in his district and power in the party, right? Whereas she is going another route. I also think, to some extent, this is a strategy that she, even if she didn't want to, would have to adopt because of the level of exposure that she's gotten just by being elected as a democratic socialist who bounced yeah. Crowley, right? Um, and so... This is actually the counterpoint to what I was saying in terms of Nancy Pelosi's weaknesses earlier, right, where she allows the Republicans to control the messaging around her, and so they're able to demonize her. So similar efforts to demonize Ocasio-Cortez, she's managed to leverage into more power within her faction, right, right? which is better than just taking a beating, in my opinion. I think the messaging, 100%, I agree with you. I think she's able to certainly play the media storm game very very well 100 percent so i I mean i think i think she's got a lot of lemons on her hands in terms of the the flavor and and focus of media exposure that she's getting and so there's a limited number of kinds of lemonade that she can make i I think that's her what i'm worried about as a citizen of her district is her ambition to continue to rise using the profile that she has without ever having done much for the district. That's fair. I want to see That's her... 100%. That should be the first concern of anyone yeah. who lives in the district. I want to see some, you know, some programs. I want to see people getting shit, you know, getting their visas passed faster in the district. Mm-hmm. I want to mm-hmm. see some stats yeah. uh, for what she's doing for the people of Jackson Heights who are mm-hmm. the people that I care about. Mm-hmm. I don't care about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez except insofar he's my representative. Who I think should be reaching out to our representative in order to pass legislation immediately, as soon as possible, is Beto O'Rourke, mm. congressman of the border. They should be working together on immigration mm-hmm. immediately. I don't mm-hmm. know why they're not. That would be a slam dunk for the Democratic Party. It would unite the supposed fracture, and it would be something strong that these two people with extremely good media presences could put mm. forward right now in this shutdown about the war. That's fair, yeah. Right? I think that, I don't know why that hasn't happened mm. yet. As someone from Texas who's represented by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, probably put you guys in touch. <laughs> <laughs> I can get you guys Wait, in have room. you met? <laughs>
but uh, they can yeah. meet here. Yeah, sure. We can it's invite a, them both on a, the podcast. It's a rumor request. Whatever you want it to be. I, I have my major misgivings because I see yeah. how she communicates. I don't love that tone. Yeah. Um, I don't love trying to think about a fact, a hard faction within the Democratic Party. It's not clear that she's doing that, but it's certainly What's rhetorically it? she can point it out. And I do think that she's playing. I have a feeling that she's going to start playing some underhanded politics, especially with what you've seen with Hakeem Jeffries. So right. that, that's, that is my real legitimate concern. And that'll happen, and that won't be exposed because she's gotten so much good coverage on her own side. So what is the, what's a deal-breaker vote for you beyond factionalist maneuvering? What is something that would be a problem for you that would cause you to support a primary challenger, hell, even a Republican in this district? I don't know. I wouldn't if I. I would support a primary challenger for sure. Like one hundred percent. I mean, I think that's that. Uh, she's well, not. There's my, no chance it's not to the left of her. So I'm just saying, what would be? No, I think you could move to the center. Yeah. Or, but I think in this district, for sure, she's not right for this district. Yeah. In that way, right? I think I would vote for a centrist in this district. But uh, what's the what's the point? I I think I see a, a bevy of uh, possible votes, and I don't know whether she's disciplined enough to do this or not. That's do what I think is bad for the Democratic Party as opposed to bad for her faction, right? If she becomes the Ted Cruz of the Democratic Party, like, that's where I break with her, right? Yeah. Like, that's, I mean, I'm already on the fence about it, but, like, I, I could see it happening. I could also see it not happening. Like, she just could be smarter. She just could be playing um, uh, a mixed hand very, mm -hmm. very well. Yeah. Taking over the Democratic Socialists and moving them away from some of their more repellent Sanders-esque opinions on yeah. immigration is a good thing, unmitigated. Yeah. Yeah, having 100%. her as that representative... One hundred percent better, I think. I mean, I think, I think that. Yeah, but they were possible. zero. They had zero power. Yeah, they had zero power. Yeah. So you had, you had, uh, you had a faction with terrible policies and zero power, and now right. you have a faction with, with slightly better policies, but with a lot more power. But I do, I do also think that it helps to appease democratic socialists in the base to yeah. have highly visible representation One, somewhere inside the Democratic yeah. Party, yeah. as opposed to yeah. Sanders, who is and not. We, a Democrat. And we dance around because this is not my favorite subject, but in terms of just representation, right? Like, I mean, yeah. beyond uh, yeah. legalistic and district, I mean, it's huge. This is why people rally her. She's a uh, woman of color. She's 27. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's huge. It, it's certainly how, I think that, that short narrative is what brings a lot of people on board with her. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Charismatic millennial women. I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Charismatic uh, millennial women of color. Better. <laughs> even better. I mean, I yeah, I I am giving her the benefit of the doubt. I'm just gonna see how she votes. Like I said, I'm I'm about fifty fifty so far. So okay, uh, but I, yeah, I, I think she I can, has potential. Could go either way. If a twenty seven year old is able to outfox the Democratic Party's machine, then it deserves to be renovated by the twenty seven year old. No, she's a, she's been able to outfox the Democratic Socialist machine. Yeah, so far. so so okay. okay. <laughs> so yeah. let's, it's a little harder. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's To be fair, hard. like, she sort of outfoxed the local Democratic machine here in the district, but I think they just weren't looking. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why that happened. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, should we try to figure out 2020? 20, oh, God. Like, I like the reality show. I, I, I think it's good. I think it's good for the Democratic Party. Oh, okay. Uh, the... the in a way that it was bad for the Republican Party, just because like they didn't have great candidates, you know, uh, yeah. from from Rand Paul to Trump, it was kind of losers running against uh, uh, who they thought who Hillary Clinton was inevitably going to win, right? Yeah. Whereas instead, 
every Democrat running thinks they have a pretty good fucking shot, right? Yeah. So we're getting some actual talent. That probably the what we're seeing is the best in the Democratic Party rise up to try to win, right? And I, I think that's interesting. I think that's uh, uh, so we've got we've got. I've had Kamalesh on the on the podcast v Nikki Haley. Uh, uh, so who's your favorite Republican? Well, <laughs> define favorite. Well, let's say that Trump goes out. Yeah. Right. Just as a thought experiment, as a Republican that you whose opinions you don't instinctively hate. You know what I mean? Like who? Uh, so a Republican who I would like to see win the presidency if the it primary, has to be a Republican. The primary. Yeah. Yeah. Flake. Flake. Okay. So Jeff Flake. So so. And Jeff Flake has mysteriously won the primary, yeah. surprising everyone. Are there any Democrats that... That I really don't like? That you don't like, that you vote for Jeff Flake over? No, I don't think okay. so. Although, I mean, like, there are certainly Democrats I'm not crazy about. I'm yeah. not particularly into Elizabeth Warren, for example. Um, there's a lot of other Democrats I... But you wouldn't go Flake over Warren or stay home? Yeah, I wouldn't go Flake over Warren or stay home. I mean, at this point, I think that in terms of policy preferences, like I want to see government function, yeah. and I think that a Democrat is incentivized to try and make government function yeah. Yeah, yeah, in a way that Republicans just are not right now. That's, I mean, that's why I thought of Flake, right? Because, like, well, first of all, on his way out, he took some principled stands that, you know, for all that um, people trash Republican senators, perhaps justifiably, the level of pressure within the party to like get in line yeah. and vote your party is like very strong. It is and the party with the guns. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I was reasonably impressed with Flake on his way out. What about... Uh, he seemed like a human being with human principles of some <laughs> kind. What about uh, Republican zombie Bloomberg v. Uh, Sanders or Warren? Um, oh, 100% Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Well, no, I, know, Bloomberg? I know where you stand. Yes, it is. This is Sanders or Warren. <laughs> yeah. Ah, Jesus. That's a hard vote. That's yeah. a hard vote. I'd, Would you stay home? I don't believe in staying home for yeah. presidential election votes at this point in my life. Bloomberg is pro-climate change policy, right? Like, policy to address it? To the, to the exclusion of all else sometimes, yeah. It's his favorite topic. Yeah, I'd vote Bloomberg, probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just, I'm not, and I'm, I'm not hard centrist Twitter, right. like Kamalesh, um, but I think that the economic policy positions that Sanders and Warren hold are sometimes incoherent, which I find it difficult to get behind because I, like, if you want to break up big banks, tell me what that means, right? Like, what does it mean to break up big banks? I'm into regulating the banking industry. Tell me what that means, right? Like, um, you know, because every change has ripple effects. And so when I hear just big rhetoric... Uh, and, and I'm a big fan, by the way, of some of the stuff that Elizabeth Warren has done, for example. Like, I love the CFPB, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm big on the CFPB. I remember back when the CFPB was formed, and they, that I think they, within a year, just nixed the practice of, like, double-cycle billing on credit cards, yeah. which was just, like, a pure, let's protect consumers from an exploitative practice move, right? So, but the way that she 
presents her arguments about what policy should be don't actually indicate to me in a meaningful way what her policy would be. Yeah, so Elizabeth Warren's the first person we know for sure is yeah, running. Yeah. So what are your... So you're, you're suspicious as hell, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I don't love Elizabeth Warren. So yeah. if she's our first candidate, I'm not super... It's like, I think there are very few Republicans I would vote for over over uh, Elizabeth Warren. I can't think of one. Yeah. Even my favorite, Nikki Haley. Yeah. I think it's still, I'm more, I'm still a Democrat in that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, just to, yeah, to put my own dog in this, I'm a party Democrat. I will vote for whoever the primary comes up with, I, even no. if I hate them. But yeah, I mean, like, that's I, more of a realistically, decision. I'm going to vote Democrat. To be fair, I would probably vote Warren over Bloomberg, but Bloomberg over Sanders. Yeah. If I had to guess because I, again I just want to hear someone talk about policy positions that are coherent yeah, yeah. and like sensitive to downstream impact right and I think it's important to draw a distinction between right. Warren and Sanders right I wish I had a bot that went out there and crawled everybody's profile in 2015 and 2016 that said I'm not a misogynist I'd vote for Warren if you were running uh-huh. and just like put up a tally in Times Square of everybody <laughs> that said that because right? uh-huh, uh-huh. I was everybody on yeah, the yeah. left right yeah. every single person so yeah. and now she's running where's yeah. that support yeah you know yeah. fellas like where to go hey guys. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah so um but i you know as far as i, I think there i think warren has she's had experience getting shit done in a state that is not vermont uh she's also uh a democrat and she is the person who comes from the most straightened circumstances right it's not talked about very much but she actually comes from you know, lower middle class background, right? She, yeah, but she's an academic. She's academic, but that I think she is of all the. She Democrats, loses all lower middle class background credit. I get it. I, get it. I, I know. I know. She, that's why she's not talking about it. But mm-hmm. as far as somebody you know, legitimately in the Democratic Party who legitimately understands the struggles of the you know downtrodden you know underclass, she's from Oklahoma, which sucks, and I believe that when she's talking about this stuff, she believes it sincerely, which is not something I can always trust from somebody like Sanders or you know I I believe that she is sincere I she she does give a vibe to me of authenticity which is not something I get from everybody <laughs> but I thought that we didn't want to be colonized by these stories <laughs> well I mean that's I'm not she's not my first pick she's just the first person running yeah, yeah, yeah. and I I would that's I'm trying to give a, a spirited defense of her in order to keep you guys from voting for uh, Bloomberg over over uh, yeah, Bloomberg's yeah. not gonna run Republican I'm just saying he could run Sanders. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean he could run independent. He could. If he ran independent, I would not vote for him. He's. I would. I would vote for him. He's a legit Wrong. billionaire. He's not afraid of the Republican machine. If a primary happens, he might jump into it. I can see that fucking happening. Why not? What does he have to lose? He's yeah. old. This would be the last thing he ever does. Yeah, I, I see him being a Ross Perot. Saving his money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I see him being Ross Perot. I think. I think he would. I don't think he'd win, but I think there's. He would probably eat into the Democratic vote. Fair. I think one of the things that could actually happen is he. Trump ditches the vice president. Yeah, it replaces Pence. it with Nikki. Because he does, yeah, Nikki Haley. Yeah, I think that, about that. I think that would be a smart move. I also think that he would. But that would be a smart move. So Pence has really to know where that? all the bodies are buried at this point. Well, also. it's also no, no, just, I think it's an idiot. It, it just makes it way more likely that the Republicans would survive. That's yeah, it. that's it. Yeah, I think with uh, because there's no way the evangelicals don't vote for Trump. Like yeah. they're they're locked with yeah. him. So that's that's why he doesn't need Pence anymore, and he could go for Nikki Haley. Also makes impeachment way less attractive if Nikki Haley is suddenly the president. 
as opposed to and the first woman president has been you know as a republican no i think it makes impeachment much more attractive you think so oh my god and the, the republican party would would join and what do you guys think about would you think sanders is gonna run now that warren's in the race he could i, I think he has enough of yeah i think he'll zombie it you think he'll try it yeah uh, yeah i think he's gonna take a shot till he's dead i think he might not i think he might it's not gonna i be. think he's the left's ron paul yeah yeah you think he's gonna try again I, I think he'll try again until he doesn't think he can anymore. What does a fight look like between Elizabeth Warren and Sanders then? Uh, I think he gets blown out of the water. Yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, Bernie bros are a thing, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it would be cool if she blew him out of the water just because I think that she's... You know, I'll revise my opinion. I don't think that's right, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I think it's competitive. I think that they yeah, eat the far left. Yeah. I think on likability, he's got edge on her mm-hmm. and people that far to either wing of the party care more about identity branding than qualified policymakers. so mm-hmm. I'll, go, I'll go ahead and say that i think elizabeth warren announcing first is so far the smartest political decision of this race she did mm-hmm. that was a really smart thing to do and okay cut him out under you know he's gonna have to run against her so he's gonna have to have a credible reason why he should be president and not her him being older and them having essentially all the same positions yeah uh which isn't going to be a good look honestly do we think that trump is going to impact older candidates like that he's going to throw like a dirty halo on other people who are equally old because we've seen what old looks like yeah i think so yeah i think that's already true Uh, i think this actually kind of goes back to my original point where i feel like he allows people to just like criticize an entire generation (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, there's like a yeah it's like oh yeah you're a boomer yeah right uh so what about so what about the number three uh, boomer Biden? Do you think he's gonna get in this? That's an interesting question. I don't think he should. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think he'll do. A, I'll do. He'll probably dip his toe in and then realize it's probably not his race to win. Yeah. That's yeah, what, that seems probably about right. If you're the foreign national security establishment of one of our democratic allies you might be using whatever cyber materials you have in order to get Biden elected. Like, he is the easier guy, right? Yeah. He's the guy that would bring the most stability and experience and who already has good relationships with places like, you know, France, the UK, Japan, Israel. You know, he's not an unknown quantity in a, in a race where, you know... I think that's a dynamic. I don't know if that's an endorsement. Not an, not an endorsement, but he's also, he's got, he triangulates a lot of votes. He's, he's also, he's got that quality of, in spite of having clear flaws, being likable in spite of, and sometimes because mm-hmm. of them. He's a great debater. He's really good. He's very smart and underestimated, easily underestimated. Uh, so I think he's weirdly, even though he's got high approval ratings, I think he's a dark horse. Hmm. I think Biden... When you see him talking to somebody, his debate version of Paul Ryan was a masterpiece. Really? Yeah, I'm sad I missed it. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I saw bits of it. I I think you're right. I think he's pretty good on it. Yeah. On his feet. Uh, So what about uh, Beto? I'm feeling it. You know what? I'm kind of into it. Well, I I think that we need a candidate with charisma. I think Beto's got it. I realize he doesn't have the executive experience, but like... I want to see a Democrat elected, right? Because I think that they'll run the fucking government. <laughs> he gets you. He gets you Texas and running a Texas campaign. I think gets you other places. Yeah. I think it's a. It's a. Whatever your message you're targeting for a Texas, I think will be successful elsewhere. I also whatever, think but yeah. generationally, 
um, if you want like the Sunbelt strategy to open up in the future, right? Um, getting excited young Democrats on board in Texas is like a good move. Yeah. Right? So the chain of Beto getting there is some kind of legislation, uh, preferably with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Sanders, I mean, and Warren doing Sanders. So Warren has to kneecap Sanders, which is totally plausible. And then mm-hmm. Beto has a shot because I think Beto beats Warren. So it's like paper, rock, scissors. But I'm not sure that Beto beats Sanders, which sucks. But I think I think he's got... I mean, I think he's got the charisma to appeal to the same people. I just and don't he's... know if he'll survive the same shit that happened to Hillary. Like, I think the same dirtbag political maneuvering that Sanders brings to the every situation... I hear a few states have, like, shut down their caucuses. Yeah, yeah, but it's not about that. It's not about that. It's about enthusiasm. Like, I think think Sanders will be able to, you know, continue to do the same nihilistic shit against Beto or any other candidate, Hmm. but specifically somebody like Beto who is untested, doesn't have a machine of their own yet. No. I I, I think I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I I am hesitant as a candidate, but then again, I vote for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What about my, my number one pick, Kamala Harris? Like... Um, I've never been that excited about her, but I've only seen her speak a few times and she seems, um, like I'd vote for her, you know, like I'd vote for her over any Republican, but, um, I haven't seen her in any public appearances, um, or involved directly in any policy that I was like following really closely in terms of the debate in a way that made her pop for me yet. So maybe, but I'm not there yet. Yeah, I'm maybe not there yet. I think she's fine. Yeah. Uh, I think, she, but I don't think she works on a national stage, actually. I think in a weird way, I mean, I hate to say this, but I think actually Beto O'Rourke makes more of a natural, uh, kind of national level spokesperson. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my thing is like, I think he's actually aspirational enough. There's a lot of areas where some specific quality of a candidate works for them in one situation and against them in another situation. I think Beto has proven remarkably good at handling those dichotomies in a way that is somehow still able to pull both sides. Yeah. You know? Um, so I... If he runs. If he that, runs. That is contingent upon Warren keeping Sanders out of the race because I think Kamala Harris beats Sanders. So... If you're if you have two proxy leftists that you're trying to like push, Beto is pro war and, and Kamala Harris for now tactically is pro Sanders. Like I, I don't think I follow the kind of uh, iterative war uh, map that you have. <laughs> I mean, I, you could be right. I just I, I'm not sure if I quite get your reasoning. That's all. Podcast listeners, you miss half the fun, which is just <laughs> Kamalesh's expressions when Miracle Jones is talking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't hide them very well. Um, so, well, you're trying to get down to two, right? And yeah, you're trying to get down to two. I, yeah. So uh, there are also other things, right? Like some of my favorites, is uh, Amy Klobuchar, right? Yeah. Uh, a centrist, uh, Midwesterner. Mm-hmm. Uh, good under fire, I think. Um, has a sort of a centrist mid- Midwesterner appeal. Right. I like her. Uh, I think she could be a strong Veep candidate. Mm-hmm. I don't. Know, I don't think she can. At this point, she can't run a national level campaign. A national level campaign is about excitement mm-hmm. and fundraising, which are the same thing now. Yeah. Post Obama, this is. I mean, Obama era. This is. It's the same thing. So that's really important. Beto has that. I'm not convinced Kamala Harris has that. You have to give me another person other than AOC who has that. 
And I don't think you do. I don't think the Democratic Party has anyone else. Well, but we're we're looking at it from a blinkered perspective. And if you look at the stat, Kamala Harris has the vote of black women, which we are none of us are by a lot. No, and no, no. But but she's Indian too, so she she also has that one percent. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a there's a a machine that exists that we are not privy to access. You know, like that is ex- extant in California well, right. first, then the South, right? So I think in a primary, she has a great. No, but base that she's cultivated, but that isn't us yet. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, do they change the order of the primaries? Yeah, California's voting way earlier. Wait, what's the first state that votes? It's still Iowa. But uh, what's the second? New Hampshire still, but then California's in there. Yeah, I mean, I think you, California may vote for Kamala Harris. Yeah, you're right. I mean, she could pull it off, but yeah. I, I think for a national candidate, I think that's Beto's still strong, and I, I, I don't, I don't love that. I actually don't like him as a national candidate. If you're on, if you're on. All right. Uh, do you want to? Does anybody have any outside the bubbles or recommendations? Okay, so this is the one thing I wanted to say about outside the bubble. Uh, one, uh, so the Weekly Standard folded. Yeah. And so this is interesting because it kind of got covered as, oh, this never Trump magazine couldn't make it. The right wing was glee, you know, gleeful because, oh, how dare you go against Trump? And uh, and the centrists were all like, oh no, we've lost another magazine that we never read, but we like that they existed, even though they didn't like that they existed. Um, I think that's interesting. Um, some people like John Potter, Potter Horitz, or whatever you say his name, has been a real ass about it because he started the Weekly Standard. Um, but. Uh, the reason it folded is because Washington Examiner has started its own magazine. And it may be worth checking out. I actually kind of think people should check out the Washington Examiner magazine. Not because the Washington Examiner is that great. It historically isn't very good. I don't love it. But they hired Seth Mandel, who is who used to run the New York Post. He was an editorial editor. I really like Seth Mandel. I think he's... A Republican in name. I've never seen him take any right-wing position outside of generally being in favor of small government and being very pro-Israel. Like, everything else, immigration, healthcare, he's kind of a squishy liberal. His wife is a right-winger, I think. She's much more conservative. But beyond that, I think he could be a very, very good editor. Like, Mm -hmm. I think he has a way of... I think maybe because of his political... He's like a Manhattan Republican. Yeah, he's a Manhattan Republican, right? New Jersey Manhattan Republican. And that's can make him really, really interesting. And I think Washington Examiner is worth checking out. It could be a conservative center-right Atlantic. Yeah. Uh, It'll take a little while for them to generate all of that, but yeah. I'll check it out. I I, I don't know if they're there yet, but I like Seth Mandel as as sort of a guiding force in it. I think that's really interesting. The other thing I was thinking is, while we're kind of bemoaning this Never Trump, the other thing that happened was that Sora Bomari moved into, uh, who's also someone we talked about, he moved into being the editorial editor of the New York Post. So I think he may have taken... Yeah, and I'm actually... And, you know, just today they wrote, they published an editorial about how Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez should stop tweeting and looking and actually advocate for the working class, Mm -hmm. right? And so, like, they actually talk about how they really want her to actually kind of come out as being much more pro-working class Mm -hmm. and start... And I I think that's, like, a brilliant thing that the New York Post can do. Mm -hmm. And I think it has this kind of center, kind of grimy, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, working class kind of appeal. And Mm -hmm. I... And People read the post, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The Times. Right. That is something uh, listeners not in New York should, should understand. Shit. <laughs> uh, so my point is that these two young um, editors, who I really, really like in terms of how they could guide these uh, pieces of kind of center-right journalism, have taken over the helm. And if anything, I think the Weekly Standard, it's died, and like the, that spirit of kind of a curious center-right, very interested in culture, very interested in a lot of things... Um, 
uh, that spirit has actually been uh, that I guess the baton has been handed to two very I think very capable very good editors and I think it may not be your cup of tea but and it's obviously not going to be do what you know the Jacobin or whatever our readers read but like I mean I think <laughs> nobody nobody reads Jack really. yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, I don't know Vox but I think I, in terms of just where journalism is and editorial shift is I'm actually really excited to see what comes out of the center right because the two people that I've followed have all of a sudden been promoted and I, and they are never trumpers they are very interesting very uh, kind of thoughtful and also have a wide array of interests so I think it's exciting yeah I, I think it's going to be good I don't know if they're quite going to get right and obviously they have to work with institutions but uh, I'm more excited about cent- the central right world in terms of magazine publishing and editorial publishing than I have in a long time I think it's going to be really interesting yeah that's right about the time they need that rejuvenation too. yeah um, uh, so the fifth risk which I finally read uh, is great it's Top notch. It's five stars. I think it's the best book about the Trump administration I've read so far. Fifth Risk. Yeah. So really? This is Michael Lewis's new book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I it's, like Michael Lewis. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's slim. It's to the point, and it makes a really compelling argument that I think everyone needs to hear, which is that it's just pro. It's what the deep state is, whatever that means, and what it does. Right. So it looks at the Department of Energy and like all the data that's collected by the government and just all the things that happen that are now, especially during the shutdown, not happening. Uh, and certainly not happening during the Trump administration because Trump has no interest in them functioning and has appointed people uh, nihilistically who are opposed to their very existence, right? Uh, so the book just looks at what's at stake, what the cost is, uh, and it's quick. It's, you know, 200 pages or something, and it, it's sourced, and he's a really fun writer and a great storyteller, and yep. it's like wonky shit, and no one is a better uh, guide to the complex, I think, for a, a lay person than Michael Lewis. That's it, yeah, that's how I read him, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I think he's a he's the right person to write that book and I'm so glad he did. And I think everyone should just pick it up and blaze through it and have some informed opinions and be a, the right kind of afraid about uh, unsecured nuclear weapons and uh, stuff like that. Uh, which is a huge risk right now. Fair enough. Um, any recommendations for me? Uh, I didn't bring anything other than, like I said, I just finished this book, Made to Stick. Recommend yeah. it. It's a quick read. It's like a little bit reductive, but it raises some interesting points. Um, so yeah, recommend. What and what are those again? Simple. Oh, uh, simple, unexpected. Yeah. Concrete, credible, emotional stories. There's a few other things it talks about. Um, the most interesting idea in the book probably actually has to do with people's decision making on the basis of sort of identity-based schemas instead of actual sort of game theory style reward assessment. Yeah. Um, but it's a pretty quick read and um, and it's got some ideas that are worth incorporating into your analysis. Yeah. So if you're out there crafting propaganda, which I hope that you are now, and fighting the information war we all find ourselves in, try, try Made the Stick. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah. All right, well, thank yeah. you everyone for listening. <laughs>